The tales are depraved and spooky. The drinks they sip are boozy. Tune in and you'll hear a doozy. The tipsy and depraved. Hi everybody, this is Tipsy and Depraved, a morbid history podcast where we explore some of the darkest stories humanity has to offer. Each episode, we will have a master of depravity, that's me, who will select a topic or theme, then each of us will tell a different story that matches. To make it even more fun, we also choose a cocktail to go along with the episode that each of you can make at home and sip along with us. So I'm Karina, this week's master of depravity. I'm Jackie. And I'm Chelsea. And that was a great intro that I've never heard before. Good job. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate you. So original. Anyhow, so original, <laughs> one of a kind, special. Anyway, one in a million. <laughs> this week we're drinking something called a zombie cocktail, which is delicious as it is strong. Zombie, yeah. zombie. What's <laughs> in your drink? It's light drink. rum, dark rum, orange cacao liquor. Is that, am I saying that right? Curacao. Oh, yeah. it's curacao. Yeah, here's how I'm smart. Here's how orange juice, passion fruit puree, or if you're me, passion fruit juice, lemon juice, lime juice, grenadine, some bitters, which I didn't have, so we just going on without it. I'm not bitter. (laughs) (laughs) And today we're covering bizarre medical treatments. How bizarre, how bizarre. As per usual, I like to situate myself right in ancient Egyptian history because I'm obsessed. You love it. I mean, yeah. What's not to love? We, we, have not fallen, to love. we have fallen into our patterns. <laughs> yeah. We have followed into our patterns. <laughs> Chelsea is always going to cover something in England. Yeah. I do something American that's really fucked up and you do ancient Egypt. <laughs> yeah. So we pretty much have our patterns. Not sure how long we can keep this up. For how many Not topics? that long because I changed mine up today. Oh, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that's did true. That's we, true. Oh, we already ruined it. Yeah. Okay. So here's a big <laughs> spoiler for everyone who's listening. We've already tried to record this episode, but there was a faux pas, if you will, <laughs> that happened. A faux pas. A faux pas. We had some technical difficulties. Technical Why? difficulties, and we have to re-record the whole thing. We're already tipsy, and we're just going to build on that and redo with some depravity. Yes, a lot of depravity. There's a lot of depravity this week. Yeah, it gets real um, uplifting, motivational. (laughs) We're still real good about yourself afterward. (laughs) You're gonna be feeling really great about yourself, but I think we should just get into it because there's only so much time. (laughs) There's all the time. Let's dive in. So let's dive in. Oh my gosh, I don't know what I have to say. God, I'm going to focus on the part of history where we all decided collectively that eating mummy bits was going to solve all of our problems. Cannibalism. Honestly, I still do it today. It's great. You eat mummy bits? Cannibal? What? No reverse side effects. I feel absolutely strong and full <laughs> of past lives. Well, too bad. I doubt that's true because from the 12th to about the 17th century is when this was really in the height of fashion 
I mean, science. <laughs> and mean, that, that was the fashion back then. <laughs> yeah. That's when we were at the height of thinking that this was going to be a great idea. And it's disgusting to say, but we, up until about 1908 to 1924, it was already falling out of fashion, but you could still buy this stuff in stores until about 1908, 1924, that era. I got a couple different places telling me different things, but it says 1924 was the last one known in Germany. Mommy juice. Mummy juice. Yeah. <laughs> juice. So we started eating mummy bits or consuming you- mummy bits because of really a misinterpretation, mistranslation, poor translating. I don't know. Bad game of telephone. A bad game of telephone in the form of a substance called bitumen, which is a sticky black goo better known today as asphalt and bitumen was used as in a bunch of stuff like adhesive mortar in ancient times and specifically for ancient egypt they were using it in the embalming process and that started in the new kingdom at times so towards the late end of mummification it was going out of fashion it wasn't being practiced as much but it was also they were also starting to use it because it was cheaper bitumen was cheaper it was a naturally occurring substance that they could find and reap from the Dead Sea. So that's where they were getting this. And the confusion stems from people thinking that the naturally occurring bitumen and the bitumen that was later found in mummies as organic matter was decomposing. They that sounds real tasty. I want some of that. It's delicious. Fill they me up they, a goblet full of that, please. They basically misinterpreted that the consumption of bitumen from the actual mummies is what we should consume instead of bitumen, the naturally occurring substance that was like this miracle drug in ancient times. And we we thought it was a good idea to just keep consuming it. Because it's got to work, right? It's doing because something. I, I guess. Putting money in people's pockets. Yeah. Really yeah. For real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it. But bitumen was thought to be like this miracle cure-all and in ancient times people were mixing mixing bitumen with wine to cure like a cough or diarrhea because those things are connected. (laughs) And bitumen and barley flour was thought to mend severed muscles, which... I don't know how we thought that was going to work. Like by consuming it or like by rubbing it onto the muscle? No, you. I think consuming it. These are all consumption. I mean, if you're eating someone's muscle, doesn't that put more muscle back into you? No, but this is just bitumen and <laughs> barley flour at the, in ancient times. This is before oh. we're eating the bitumen out of the mummy. sorry. I, I know it's juvenile, but every time you say bitumen. Bitch men. You think bitch men? Hell yeah. <laughs> Bitchy ass men. Bitch men. <laughs> Always complaining. It's such a fun word. Bitch men. Bitch men. Oh my gosh. Sorry. It it's me like boy. in <laughs> Italian, the only word I remember from taking Italian in college is bicicletta, which oh means bicycle. God. Oh my God. Bicicletta. <laughs> oh, you can't. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's great. Well, anyway. So in the money, when we we got to the point of like searching for bitumen in in mummies, it could be found in the head and the stomachs. Not sure why, but 
in the late fourth in the 14th century, people started stealing bodies and boiling them That's to funny. bottle the goo <laughs> that would come up to the surface. <laughs> and it was this is very black market stuff here. It's illegal at this time to take bodies out of the Middle East. Like we're not doing great stuff here. I don't know. It sounds pretty profitable and great for my pockets. <laughs> supply and demand got to a point where they could not keep up with supplying ancient Egyptian mummies that people started stealing and making fake mummies. They would take bodies out of graves. They would pick up random dead bodies off the side of the road. They would take dead slaves and make their own kind of mummy mixed with asphalt and just throw a bunch of that together in the 1500s and the 1600s we're just like taking Jesus. bodies so like during the 1500s and 1600s you could have gotten like some some random guy in your your ancient mummy remains Disgusting. instead of I, like, you actually I, thought you were dying technically it would always be some random guy technically yes but you were after the ancient uh egyptian mummy it's, it's bad dr- it's like bad drugs yeah, you know what I mean? it's like when you pay, it's lace marijuana, and you get like Clorox. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> you want that sweet, sweet cocaine, but all you get is some um, baking soda. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what comes to my head when you're talking about this. That's crazy. Oh my god! You're but- so ahead of your time. Wow. You yeah, they were ahead of their time. They were you were steal they were stealing just random people at the time. But it was thought that the ancient Egyptian mummies were they were the highly coveted people because they thought that by consuming them they were ingesting like their this other person's soul and oh, well, that's free. And basically like what if what they were word. right though? What if your soul is just kind of like dormant and then someone eats you and then you live inside this other person? I, that's a terrible way to think. That's horrifying. I don't know. That's horrifying. <laughs> You're thinking about it now. <laughs> You're thinking about it now. Yeah, like I don't want it to happen. But what if that's like the case and like you just like awaken and you're just like trapped in someone else's body, but like your soul is giving them extra power and it's just like, Wah. oh my god. Well, we'll get into that. Maybe that's where this came from, because I've heard this before. But all of this confusion... <laughs> oh, God. All this confusion was, like, between bitchum and bitchin. the word mamia. From bitchin. Yeah, from bitchin. Mamia was what was sold in apothecaries to... Oh, mamia. This is yeah. where I sang. Yes. This is where you sang the first time we recorded this. Spoiler. <laughs> Just do it. Mamma mia. Hey, I come again. Yeah. Mommy, how can I forget you? That's what they would call it. And that's what you would buy in apothecaries. Just so we're all clear. So the time period lasted from this early on all the way up to like, this is still very popular in the Victorian era and reaching this like height in the 16th and 17th century of who would use like human body parts as medicine. And apparently a wide range of people thought that this was the end all be all for healing. And they would, unfortunately really it would cause some fatal diseases because these people are dead and you're basically eating them. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's fucked. It's like the Book of Eli. Like, you know a cannibal when you see him quaking. What? <laughs> oh, my God. You all see that movie? No. No. No, I did not. Denzel Washington in it. And uh, it's like po- apocalyptic he's blind and everyone's after this like sacred text and you find out it's the last bible in the world but everyone's like a cannibal but you can only know that they're cannibals because they start like shaking and they're like "Mm, where'd you get that skin that you're wearing i want to eat it and (laughs) i'm so scared yeah i mean they don't say that but that's the gist of what happens well okay anyway (laughs) people are stealing mummies they're grave robbing so not only are we trying to steal, like, jewels and stuff from these graves, we're actually trying to steal the actual mummies so that we can take their remains and make Mamiya. Mamiya. <laughs> Even King Charles II of England, Chelsea, your favorite. Mm, I love England. Had his own concoction, and he would drink alcohol infused with ground skull. Ugh! And if we weren't in a terrible place already. It was believed that the fresher, the healthier for you. No. No. And that at the time pertained to like blood and stuff like that. Like we're we're getting into parts of history where we thought it was also okay not only to consume ancient Egyptian mummies, but we thought it was okay to buy blood off the town executioner after an execution because they they believe that consuming blood and other pieces of the corpse was also consuming, as I said, the soul of the deceased, and we would gain their strength from that. And Leonardo da Vinci, oh my god, also wrote about this, and I quote, We preserve our life with the death of others in a dead thing, insens- insensate life remains which, when it is reunited with the stomachs of the living, regains sensitive and intellectual life. That's fucked up. (laughs) What? But he'll always be remembered as the man who can open a door ever after. Thank you very much. I'll be going home. I love that movie. I love that movie so much. Oh my god. I hate you for bringing that movie up. Oh, you're Um, welcome. I wasn't in the first recording, by the way. I just thought of it, so... I'm so glad for you. If you don't stop mentioning the first recording, I'm going to punch you. Yeah, this is the editing is going to be a bitch. Chelsea, stop. I can't help it. I'm so drunk. Control yourself, woman. But apparently, like even William Shakespeare mentioned Mamiya in at times. Like he's quoted as mentioning this, and I, I just want to know who didn't point this out to me in high school because. We didn't talk about this. No. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Nope. No. No. I want to do eternal life in my belly. Let me, let me eat you. In my belly. Yeah, in my belly. That's pretty much all I have on the cannibalistic side of things. But the ancient Egyptians also had some fun things that they would do to women, which I thought Ooh. since Chelsea loves when women are, are put in positions of not power. <laughs> I thought I had to bring this up. Fuels me with rage. (laughs) Not that it doesn't fuel me with rage, but I think it brings a special rage out in Chelsea. We enjoy the reactions from Chelsea. I have a special reaction when, you know, women received like the pair of anguish for just having a miscarriage, which happens to like 
what is it like 70 percent of actual pregnancies like yeah i'm sorry like <laughs> just rage well well tell me we more though tell me how these women were wronged I, saddle I up saddle up saddle up because Ooh. we would apparently do a procedure called fumigation of the womb the fuck jesus <laughs> and this would be accomplished it's not, by... a, ga- it's not a gas chamber no it well <laughs> apparently it is because we would direct incense smoke or insert incense into a woman's vagina i mean my queef says differently about the gas chamber (laughs) (laughs) oh my god God. technically it's just air but whatever oh god well i don't even know what to say to that other than to go on (laughs) a test of fertility was also to place an onion in a woman's vagina no my womb is not a stew (laughs) i'm going out of there it's a stew pot so if the scent of onion was on the woman's breath the next morning she was considered fertile the fuck yeah i don't i don't know how that work like how does that work i mean i mean really how how i don't know did do we just imagine that onions smell them out? Maybe it's because, like, you know how your, like, gene is super acidic? Like, maybe if it's too acidic, like, it just, like, eats off that onion flavor before it gets into your bloodstream and you just, like, reek of onions. I don't even know. I don't but you want to know? Like, I'm fascinated. But, like, that that actually, as horrible as it is, that's fascinating. I want to no, know how. Yeah. yeah like, I'm going to try. You're going to put an onion in your coochie? No, I'm no, not going to no. rather research the chemistry. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, they would also stick some other fun stuff up there because oh, Jesus. contraceptives are also described as the insertion of a plug of crocodile dung. But, like, you just well, stick it up. were spells to make these more effective. There were accompanying spells to make these more effective. But The infection from still- the shit up there? Was it like I mean, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but why not? I don't think that goes up there. Yeah, it doesn't. No, no. I don't think the dung of any creature belongs on any of my orifices. No, get that the fuck away from me. Uh, Yeah, no. Also, some more fun things that the ancient Egyptians used to use, which I thought I couldn't end without talking about these things. But there was also a substance called mouse paste. Uh, what? Mm. I'm what? assuming that that just uh, speaks for itself. That's it it's speaks like for a mouth of toothpaste, but with mouse guts. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just squeeze the bottom. Mice were cut in half and placed over the afflicted area. We thought that this would fix simple headaches or more complicated issues such as epilepsy abscesses and blood clots jesus christ superstar that's not but like okay like why just you a legitimate question you ingest the mouse paste or is it like topical where you just like put it on your skin no this is a topical remedy okay okay we're not eating the mice okay okay Okay. i'm just making sure i'm making sure no we'd rather eat other people than eat 
mice. Yes, apparently. Yeah, like, it's two humans I was about to say, you seem oddly relieved that they're not eating the mice, but you're pretty okay with them eating <laughs> the people. <laughs> I don't know. To me, the rodents are more gross. They're not eating the mice, like, are they? they? <laughs> no. Like, consuming the human juice is gross, but I don't know. Rodents are more gross? I love rodents. But... It's just like, why such a wide a range of ailments? Like, it feels like, like they were literally like, like throwing, just literally throwing shit at the wall and yeah. see what would sell. Yeah, do this. People It'll are help. buying this mouse shit. Let's go ahead and <laughs> paste it on people. Let's make it out of paste. You're I mean, I don't know. Like, but- my brains. My favorite thing about the ancient Egyptians' medicine was that we would consume medicine with beer. Wine or honey. Yeah. Honey, Gotta bring honey. back honey. Honey. Each of these things had their own medicinal properties. Beer was the most popular drink in ancient Egypt and was frequently like used as somebody else's like given to you as your wage. That's cool. And I didn't know that. I mean, I would accept that now. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe beer. Okay. Good <laughs> IPA. Thank you. Oh, I don't take that Keystone shit. Like, get that away from me. Offer <laughs> shit. Get that. They oh, even had a god of beer called Tenenit. What? She she was the goddess of beer. Ooh. And she was frequently like associated with Hathor. And there was a lot of spells that would invoke Hathor in medical texts. And I just thought that was interesting. That is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 I cool. I don't associate beer with ancient Egypt. No, me so. like, not, not even cool. a little bit. Like that's really. It makes me very cool. hoppy to find this out. <laughs> so funny, <laughs> so funny, <laughs> so funny, <laughs> so funny. Oh my gosh! Anyway, Chelsea, <laughs> what do you got for us? Honestly, though, like I just have to say before I start, like I liked. You had everything in your subject. It was you yeah, had, there was so much variety. Yeah. You had mummy paste, you had cannibalism. mice cut in half, you had cannibalism, you had rich white people believing eating people was okay. <laughs> you gotta give it to the, the Egyptians. They were creative. They were yeah. creative. They were and trying then, to figure shit out. That's- yeah, they were. It's crazy. I mean, I don't think they expected people to eat them as a remedy later on in no, life. No, like, bad, like, bad, bad translation. Like, probably, some, you know what happened? Probably some some white guy came across the, the text and was like, oh, yeah, so it's just dig up dead bodies. There's just goo in there. Yeah. Let's, you'll eat oh. this, you'll be fine. Remember that when they found that mummy a couple of years ago and it had all that, like, juice in the sarcophagus and people were trying to buy that liquid to drink it? Yeah, so gross. Like, that was recently. People are crazy. Humans are fucked. Yeah, I don't... Don't trust us. So gross. But anyway, Chelsea, what do you got for us? All right, so today I'm going to be talking about something a little bit more recent, and that is the practice of lobotomies. My friend and listener of the podcast, David, recommended this, and I am excited to dive in. So thank you, David. Thank you, David. Good job, David. So whenever I think of about lobotomies, which is slightly often, um, just in the fact that, <laughs> oh, those happened at one point in time, and that's troubling. Not that I want to complete them on people, just the fact that they happened. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm glad you clarified. Yeah. <laughs> I think about lobotomies often. Like, I can see how that'd be like, wait, what? I just, I look at someone, I'm like, oh, I wish I could just get that pickaxe in my brain. Thing. Like, oh, like, I want to scramble you. Like, no, it's just the fact that they happen, not the fact that people bother me and I wish they had lobotomies. Good to know. So I always think of it as some prehistoric practice and... It is surprising and also not surprising at the same time that it was only actually put into practice in the 1930s. What? Yeah. And it was only tested before that in like the 1880s before like that was like the pre-trials of the 1930s deal. And it didn't happen that often. That's insane. I didn't think it happened. It's so recent. Yeah. Means- Ours are very connected. Less, Our topics less are very than 100 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So prior to lobotomies, there were some wildly barbaric ways of treatment of the mentally ill, including malarial therapy, which is the process of giving a patient malaria intentionally in hopes that the fever that came with malaria would burn off any illness. Yeah, this was done on syphilis patients, mainly because syphilis was 100% deadly, but there was the fact that malaria actually did burn off this illness. Just the treatment really? had, yeah, it actually worked, but it had a 15% death rate. So like risk reward kind of a yeah. yeah, like yeah. syphilis had a 100% death rate, but would you take that 15% chance to live? Yeah. I mean, yeah, oh, I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I would. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 100% yeah. death rate, but like, is syphilis the one where you're like, I don't know, you're like, face gets scary so i think it starts off with like your genitals like every std does like but then it goes to your brain and it just kind of rots away your brain I and mean, al capone fine. actually died from syphilis so what yeah and that was fairly recently like he scratched off his dick and everything at least that is <laughs> what my history teacher in uh, high school told me was that he scratched off his dick. I will not say the history teacher's name. <laughs> I think she has tenure now, but like, I don't think like I should go around. No, don't, blow, don't blow over spot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So terrifying. It also yeah. is disturbing. Yeah. It's he scratched off his dick because he <laughs> was a dick and he didn't deserve to have his own. <laughs> Jesus fucking Retribution. <laughs> All right, so that's Al Capone. Anyways, so other <laughs> so other uh, various treatments were deep sleep therapy and that also intertwined with insulin shock therapy. And that Ugh. was the process of giving people mass amounts of insulin to put them into comas, which I would... Oh, my God. Almost picked up. Yeah, and this had a fairly high death rate, but it was basically just to put people out so you didn't have to deal with them for a while. Good <laughs> night. <laughs> Wait, pause. Josh thought that we were on video and tried to army crawl past me. (laughs) (laughs) You may walk, sir. Walk freely. (laughs) (laughs) He's showing respect for my podcast. We appreciate appreciate it. We appreciate you. you. Okay. All right, so so that's Al Capone. No, we already did Al Capone. We just finished the electroshock or the insulin shock therapy. Insulin shock therapy. Insulin shock therapy. Good night. We're being unruly. Yeah. 
apply. And then there was electro uh, convulsive therapy, which I I will not get fully into. Spoiler! That's But I will touch base on a little bit later just because shock therapy plays a part in the process of ice pick lobotomies, which is a super delight. No sarcasm. None at all. Ever. (laughs) 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 All right. So for those of you that do not know, lobotomies were the process of severing connections of the prefrontal cortex of the brain. Oh, hi, Mavis. She just hopped up on my lap. Mavis is my cat. So it was the process of severing connections of the prefrontal cortex of the brain for those who had mental or behavioral issues. This was done in a variety of ways, which I'll get into in a minute. The results of the surgery varied drastically, and it was unknown how a patient would respond to the procedure until after the fact. Outcomes ranged from severe brain damage, emotionally stunted people, mobility impairments, and then also just the normal return to society, which was rare or even death. In the 1940s, there was a 5% mortality rate from the procedure, and those who lived on occasion commuted Committed suicide later. Oh my god. Who yeah. Are the five percenters who lived and went to back into normal society. Well, five percent died, but oh. the people who lived, I didn't have much I don't have much information on them, but there is a book called My Lobotomy, which is the count of a person who found out after the fact that he had a lobotomy when he was 12 years old. Oh my god. That's what's his face. I don't remember his name. Howard Dully. There it is. I'll trust you on that. Yes. But like, this is gonna sound terrible, but I'm looking at it kind of like the scientific angle, like doing it on kids, you're gonna have a higher success rate, because you're not you like your brain's not fully developed. So any injury that you get to to that organ could potentially get a work around itself. You know what I mean? Hopefully. Well, yeah, right? Our brains are still developing. 25 well like in this case yeah that's exactly what happened that's why like any kids that have like traumatic brain injuries they have a higher chance of recovery but then you also have the kids who got hit in the head as a kid turn into you know jeffrey dahmer's and ted bundy's yeah sure actually ted bundy didn't get hit at i don't think he had a brain injury when he was a kid but most of them do. Really? Yeah. That's why uh, My Favorite Murder says if they got bonked on the head, send them back. Oh my <laughs> oh, god. <shit>. Holy shit. <laughs> but anyways, so almost 75% of lobotomies were done on women. Of course. Because so, a man came up with this procedure. Yeah. And they were mad that she wasn't in the kitchen obeying every order and, you know, just being the perfect housewife. God forbid she have a personality or have any sort of mental disorders. Yeah. <laughs> when I start to remember that I can't live in other times and maybe no. I should look to the future to live in yes. versus the past because apparently I would be dead in the past. Yeah, same. Or die quickly from mouthing off. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, or like giving away that you're from the future and then all of a sudden... You're a witch and you are being burned. Yep. Yep. Good I don't time. think I would survive as long as Claire has, but. No. But we don't have the um, smallpox scars, so not a witch. Not a witch. <laughs> yes. 
By the way, I think I said that in the last episode and the not a witch quote is from, I think, Wine and Crime. I think they do a not a witch bit like almost every episode and I didn't realize they did it until I listened back to it. I was like, oh, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking thinking Hocus Pocus for some reason. (laughs) Is that where it's from too? I don't I don't no. know if it's a quote that they're doing, but they have a not a witch bit. And I'm just like, oh man. No, no, you know what I'm thinking of? Really? It's not it's not even hocus pocus. It's I'm thinking of the quote from Princess Bride where it's like, I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Billy Crystal. That's what I was thinking of. Nice. <laughs> So the first reported lobotomies were done in 1888 by a psychiatrist named Burkhart, or I will refer to as asshole number one. Copy that. Asshole number one. Asshole number one. Because I think everyone who participated in lobotomies are now assholes. Can we give them the the benefit of the doubt that the science of the time? No. Okay. No. (laughs) No. I mean, I'll I'll get into something a little bit later where they were probably well intentioned, but but it was abused. It was abused, and just the actual like, if you put any like thought beyond what was happening at the time, like this probably wasn't the greatest idea. Mainly because lobotomy lobotomies were performed not for the betterment of the actual person but for the betterment of the people that were taking care of them. Really? Yeah. So people who had lobotomies weren't really expected to be released from the insane asylums of the time. Yeah. So they're, they weren't really done for the betterment of the actual people receiving them. Like some, sometimes there were like success stories where people actually got better and were able to be, you know, members of the society again but a lot of times people had to remain in the insane asylum or later you know psychiatric care and it was mostly for the benefit of the people working there that they didn't have to deal with someone so aggressive or opinionated or whatever and they be kind of kind of became invalids after the procedure most of the time that's Jesus. crazy yeah so in 1988 the psychiatrist named burkhart or asshole number one began operations on six patients in which two became quieter one became epileptic and died a few days later two experienced no change and one improved he called this a 50 percent success rate and published this great new procedure in a medical journal but he is quickly met with hostile feedback from his medical peers. You think? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What did you say? Like you said what? Two people? 50% success rate with only one person improving. That's insane. That's that's some bullshit. Imagine if we tried to do that now. That's not how math works. Not how math works. No, no, no. science now was trying to get something approved and we were like, one of two people survived. I mean, I think that, that really shows how people thought of this is it wasn't for the person. Like if they improved, oh, great side effect. But this was really for people becoming more manageable. That's upsetting. That's scary. Yeah. So here's a quote from one of asshole number one's peers. His name was Dr. Pusip. He said, we have uh, reviewed this data to show not only how groundless, but also how dangerous these operations were. 
We are unable to explain how their author, a holder of a degree in medicine, could bring himself to carry them out. So they're basically like, why the fuck? This guy should know better and should not even think about performing these procedures. Right. However, Pusip will now be known as asshole number two because over the course of a few years, he changes his views on the matter. And by the 1930s, he starts advocating and uh, led lobotomies into Italy's practices in medicine. So they became a normal part of Italy's. So he, he was he was pretty much like this asshole. What's he doing this for? I could do this better. Let me yeah, let me like, let me do this. I got yeah, this. Basically, that's crazy. <laughs> so the first lobotomies, like modern, more modern, because these ones, the ones before were in 1888. The next round were performed in the 1930s, and they were performed in Lisbon by a doctor named Moniz, which will now be known as asshole number three. Copy. This was a full-on procedure at the time, so it was, it was a surgical procedure. Holes would be cut into the skull, and a device called leucotomy was inserted into the brain, where it had a retractable wire loop at the end. Once the device was in the brain, the doctors would rotate the leucotomy and it would carve out a one centimeter lesion into the frontal lobe. Oh. Yeah. So you have two frontal lobes. You have the right and the left. And this would be done six times per lobe during the procedure. Jesus Christ. Oh, no. Yes. If after the fact the results were not satisfactory and the person still had behavioral issues or, you know, if it was if they were a woman and had an opinion that did not align with a man. I'm, I'm being facetious here. <laughs> they would perform the procedure again until they got the desired results of them either becoming an invalid or just quieter or having some sort of improvement. Fucking so. Shit. Oh Asshole number three had a 35% success rate of his procedures causing improvement. 35 meaning they were either invalid or quiet, right? Not like no, returning to society. I think, I think this 35% was better improvement, so they might have been returned to society. However, 35% caused slight improvement, and that was probably the quieter yeah. range and then 30% were unchanged. However, there is no instance of or percentages of people who did not improve or did not improve at all or well the 30% were unchanged but like who had regressions or were just like super became invalid basically where they had a lower brain function. Jesus. Yeah. So there's no rate on that so who knows what these actual percentages mean like what is an improvement it doesn't really go into it there's like a good improvement and then there's slight improvement and then there was unchanged but nothing else went with that and then also all of these patients that he had he did not know beforehand they were new patients and often the first day he met them he performed these surgeries so how does he really know if they had fast improvements or not it's yeah you only great. just yeah. met them yeah it's like how do you rate that like one, you could listen to what other piece, people have experienced with this person, but having that firsthand account as a doctor, like, yeah, you're, I don't know. Especially for behavioral stuff, like, that's kind yeah, of I feel like that's, that's something you gotta, like, you need sessions, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, you need to know what you're looking for. Right. Uh, but just, oh, you're, just yeah, you got this. Come here. Looking to make scrambled eggs out of brains at this time. Yeah. Nice. But because Wild. of asshole number three's, in quotations, 
success rate on lobotomies, these procedures became more widely accepted as a form of treatment. So Walter Freeman, the biggest asshole of them all, who is also the leader of the American lobotomies, he referred to the practice as surgically induced childhood. That's fucked up. Yeah, so that's kind of the state that most of these, like, those improvements were just, like, it was expected to have these people revert back to their childhood natures. But, but permanently. Yeah, permanently. So like, like you're they did not get better after this. Right. That says a lot about what they thought this would do to people, though. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So this guy also updated the procedure of lobotomy several times. So Big Hassle's first update was the prefrontal lobotomy, which was where they drilled a hole near the temple, inserted a device, and basically wiggled it around to um, disconnect those. That's so, it's so reckless. Prefrontal cortex. That's so reckless. Yeah. Like today, like you think about. Let's wiggle like, it around. Yeah, let's just wiggle it around. But today like, with brain surgery, you have like the cameras. So you can actually see, yeah. like, I would be interested to see, like, what a procedure like this today could potentially do to actually help people instead of, like, let me just stick this, like, object in your brain and not see what I'm doing, but just, I'll just swirl it around a little bit and see what happens. Right? What could go wrong? Yeah. It And Freeman just got so much better with his next invention of the lobotomy. So this guy, he was just sitting around in his kitchen thinking like, man, I really wish there was an easier way to do a lobotomy where doctors didn't have to be involved. And it was kind of like a... Where doctors didn't have to be involved? Yeah, where it's just like an office procedure and, you know, people who really needed this in this, like, asylums could just get it right away and they didn't have to wait around for an appointment or anything. Like, geez, that would be swell. And he looked what? around his kitchen and he saw he saw an ice pick and he was like, That'll work. Interesting. That'll do. <laughs> what? And he started working on grapefruits, practicing on them. Why why grapefruits? Good question. Don't know. <laughs> don't find a dead body. Like, I mean, like don't, don't have to practice on fruit to like do sutures and stuff? But like, that's yeah, but sutures are different than, like, let me stick something. Like, there's no brain. Like, there's yeah. no anatomy. Like, what and here's fuck? where it gets better. Uh, when you find out what he's practicing to actually do, he starts on cadavers. And what he really is trying to do is get that, that ice pick and insert it. You know where your eye is near your nose? And there's I that don't know where dust. my eyes are. Uh, you, oh, you should look in a mirror. You'll find them real fast. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> but anyways he puts the ice pick in that area and kind of tries to move around the eye through like and gets the back of it where there's this thin layer of bone and he takes the ice pick he has the ice pick in there like through your eye not through your eye but like a, trying to get around it to that bone and then he takes a little mallet and just hits that ice pick. So, like, again, but, oh again, what the fuck was he doing with the grapefruit? There's no bone. Good question. There's no what eyes. Is he trying to get around. Like, what was he I practicing on the grapefruit? I'm intrigued. Maybe, I need to know. I, maybe it had the same consistency of force that you needed to break through the skin as the 
like oh, okay, that the makes bone. Sense. That makes sense. But that, still. Yeah, that's a theory. Oh, I don't no. know for sure. But anyways, so you get an ice pick and you get that gets inserted into your eye socket and then a mallet hits it to break that thin bone that's between your eye and your brain. And then once oh, that God. goes through, you get the ice pick into your brain where it kind of scrambles it around for a bit, you know, getting you all mushy inside and acting like a child. That's pretty much the gist of the ice pick lobotomy, which is actually what David requested was ice pick lobotomy. So thank you, David. Thanks, David. What a wonderful tidbit of information. (laughs) (laughs) Like the whole time I was researching it, like I just felt like this pain in my eye. Yes. (laughs) But here's the thing too, is that this was supposed to be an, office procedure that you know people in the asylum can complete so if you didn't have did he give like did he give direction like were there diagrams like i need to I, like or were nurses and like the attendees just here's an ice pen just hold still let me diagrams but like for the pain though like if you didn't have topical treatments or like in any sort of like pain medicine, he suggested that you electroshock someone into passing out oh. and then just perform the procedure well, while I mean, they're passed out. At least you're, oh at least you're knocking them out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. Oh my God. But the electroshock therapy is not fun at that time either. No. So describing a successful lobotomy, Freeman described a patient as a smiling, lazy, satisfactory patient with a personality of an oyster. I thought you were going to say sack of shit. What? Sack of <laughs> shit? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought you were about to say. I don't know why. lazy, sack of shit patient with a personality, I mean, personality of an oyster. Of an oyster is not that much better. No. No. And honestly, these patients, like, again, they were not always for the betterment of the patient. It was for the betterment of the people taking care of them. So it was, like, that's why all these people are assholes. They knew these procedures, like, they didn't better the lives of the actual people. Yeah. That's what really make their own lives easier. Yeah. 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 And then also like Freeman who told people who were taking care of these people who like had trouble like figuring out how to handle people who now had a personality of an oyster. He said that they should do reward and punishment systems. So whenever the person did anything good, give them a treat like ice cream or something sweet. And if they did something bad, just give them a smack. He wanted people to treat other Jesus people like dogs. like dogs like dogs yeah that's how you train dogs i mean you don't smack them but the reward yeah, that's yeah. Crazy. so rage and then <sighs> i can't finish lobotomies without talking about one of the most famous lobotomy cases in the world and that is the lobotomy of rosemary kennedy who is also jfk's sister and also god what's the other guy's name robert robert, robert. Yeah, thank you. Look, I've been drinking for a while. Robert Kennedy's sister. So this family just had a history of shit luck. Cursed. Yeah, they're cursed. Kennedy's cursed. The Kennedy's cursed. 
kind of the curse. It's real. So Rosemary Kennedy had a history of kind of violent outbursts with also kind of an epileptic condition where she had where she seized a lot and then had these outbursts where she would be violent. Their father took her to a doctor who was also Walter Freeman, the biggest asshole of them all, and his partner, James Watts, to have a lobotomy done when she was 23 years old. Oh my god. Yeah. She was only 23. This took this procedure took place in November 1941. So James W. Watts spoke with Ronald Kessler, who was kind of like a biographer. And Ronald Kessler wrote the following about what James Watts said to him. We went through the top of the head. I think Rosemary was awake. She had a mild tranquilizer. She had a mild tranquilizer. Tranquilizer. Is that better? Tranquilizer. Okay. She had a mild tranquilizer. I made a surgical incision in the brain through the skull. It was near the front and it was on both sides. We just made a small incision, no more than an inch. The instrument Dr. Watts used looked like a butter knife. He swung it up and down to cut the brain tissue. We put an instrument inside, he said. As Dr. Watts cut, Dr. Freeman asked Rosemary some questions. For example, he asked her to recite the Lord's Prayer or sing God Bless America, or count backwards. We made an estimate on how far to cut based on how she responded. When Rosemary began to become incoherent, they stopped. That's so fucked up. Yes. Immediately after, Rosemary was admitted into an asylum because she reverted back to the mindset of a two-year-old. She could no longer speak, could no longer walk, and she could no longer control her bowels or... Her, yeah after the fact her entire family kind of pretended that she didn't exist and uh, no one visited her for 20 years that's that's so depressing super fucked up yes and she died recently and not that recently but it feels recently um in 2005 at the age of 86 oh my god um yeah and she was only 23 when this procedure was done to her and you look at pictures and she was such like a happy, you know, beautiful young girl and people just didn't want to try to work or find a different treatment to her condition. And most people now think that she had, you know, epilepsy that exasperated a depression which caused her outburst, yeah. which in modern times would be extremely treatable and yeah, it's like it's she, like expected. Yeah, and she would have lived a very normal life with modern medicine. That's, That's sad. even more depressing because yeah. if you could have missed it. Yeah. If she lived today, yeah. Yeah, so that's one of the biggest, most famous cases of lobotomies. And then to wrap this up, I'm going to leave you with the musings of a historian, Roy Porter, who um, was a historian of medicine. And he spoke of the mental illness remedies of the 1930s and the 1940s in one of his books. And he mused, the often violent and invasive psychiatric interventions developed during the 30s and 40s are indicative of both the well-intentioned desire of psychiatrists to find some medical means of alleviating the suffering of the vast number of patients then in psychiatric hospitals and also the relative lack of social power of those same patients to resist the increasingly radical and even reckless interventions of asylum doctors. Yes. Wow. Yes, that's perfect. Right? perfect. 
And that is the bottomies. Well, now sounds like a good time to take a break. And here we will be back after this one message. And we're back. Jackie, it's your turn. It is my turn. I got shock therapy. Woo! Or... (laughs) Or or electroconvulsive therapy, which is the, uh, the proper term for it. So... Shock therapy came about, came into the psychiatric practice around the same time as lobotomies. So to kind of dive into this a little bit, there were, there was a lot of research in the early 1900s about the link between seizures and it, the effects of seizures potentially helping people with severe depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, things like that. So in the 1920s, there was a researcher named Laszlo Maduna from the University of Budapest, and he speci- he was the one who found specifically the link between schizophrenia and epilepsy. So epilepsy, if you don't know what happens physio- like to your body when you have a seizure, it's essentially an electric chaos in your brain. Uh, your brain oh. normally will, it, your brain fires small amounts of electricity normally, but when you have a seizure, it's just, it's out of control. So what he found was that after a person had a seizure, they had a surplus of a certain type of cell in their brain. And it happened to be the same type of cell that people with schizophrenia were lacking. And he thought to himself, well, if I could just have people who have schizophrenia, if I can make them have a seizure, maybe their brain will produce a cell that they need and it'll help subside their symptoms. So he he was the one who found that inducing seizures could potentially help chemical imbalances in your brain, which is genius and also yeah. terrifying all at the same yeah. time. So before shock therapy came into play, the way that psychiatrists were doing, were inducing the seizures was through medication. It was through a pill that they would give to their patients. And what ended up happening was right before it's now known as an aura. So if you have epilepsy in certain people, they will have this moment of severe depressive symptoms right before they have a seizure. That's well documented in epilepsy. The patients in the 1920s that were given this pill right before they had their seizure, they were documented with having these severe bouts of terror right before they went into the seizure. So it was considered barbaric because these people were going to these doctors for help and this terrible thing would happen to them before they had the seizure and then they would end up feeling better. But doc, like the, the psychiatrists and the nurses were chasing their patients through the hallways to take this pill. Oh my god! I was like, take this, you'll feel better. But no, I like I don't like how this feels. So yeah, shock therapy came into the practice as a more humane way to induce the seizures. So it originated in Italy in around the 1930s, and the doctors that the doctors that pretty much they experimented on people is how they figured out how that this worked. But they, their names were Ugo Sorletti and Lucio Bini. And they figured out that, you know, they knew, they knew going in that when you have a seizure, it's like, it's electricity kind of going haywire in, in one of your organs. So maybe we can induce this seizure by electrocuting you. And that's pretty much what they did. 
So oh it was either done with one, one node or two nodes attached to your temple. It was depending on the shock therapy that you received. So if they were only targeting one part of your brain, they would put a node up against one of your temples and electrocute you. So crank up the electricity until you started having a seizure, then they would stop. They would let the seizure run its course and then document whether or not your symptoms subsided, stayed the same, whatever. If they were yeah. targeting your entire brain, then there would be a node that would be put on both temples and they would do the same thing. So at the time, like oh you're not under, like you're fully conscious when this is happening. There's no, you're not put under anesthesia, like there's no pain medication. They essentially just stick like a rubber mouth guard in your no. mouth so you don't break your teeth because the seizure itself is such a violent act. So they were yeah. like, oh, we don't want you to break your jaw. So here, bite down on this and here we go. We'll see how what happens. How of them. Yeah, how nice. Yeah, thank you. That's so nice. Yeah, so nice. Thank you. So nice. But... It, it's documented that in a lot of patients, not to say it's not without side effects and, you know, crazy shit can happen. This is a crazy risky procedure, but it, it did find success in that a lot of patients that went through it, their depression subsided, their anxiety subsided, at least for a little bit. But a lot of people had to go back for multiple, multiple rounds of this procedure. It got yes. a really bad rap. In part because of how it was portrayed in culture. So like in movies and TVs, like even when I was when I started doing research, when I thought about shock therapy or I pictured shock therapy, I pictured the scene out of one flew over the cuckoo's nest where it's used at, to subsu- subdue mental patients. We're yeah, like, we watched that in high school psych. Yeah. You're like, you're acting out, you're being crazy. Like, I'm just gonna, you know, put some electricity in your brain and quiet you down for a little bit yeah or in um i also watched in the second season of american horror story which takes place in an asylum they use it as a method to literally wipe someone's memory oh so like this these were the mental images that i had of this therapy going into the research and it's kind of how it was portrayed for a really long time it was also used just in fucked up way like like in anything that you kind of any medical procedure that is intended to be an office procedure or something that doesn't necessarily need a doctor to do it's going to get abused if it falls into the wrong hands which is exactly what happened so you had in the 30s and 40s the the mental institutions were very they were overcrowded they didn't have enough staff to help these people and Procedures like lobotomies and shock therapy were used to restore order. And that's exactly what they did. And not only to restore order with mental health patients, but also, this is what made me really angry because it's so fucked up. They use shock therapy as a cure. And you can't see anyone doing air quotes with cure for homosexuality as well. Of course. Jesus So. Christ. Rage. It earned its, it, it uh. earned its bad reputation for very legitimate reasons because it was used as a torture method from some people, and you can't you can't avoid that history of that. Yeah. While the intentions were pure, like it was developed as a way to help people, and it's still used today as a method to help people with the wrong intentions. It's just very fucked up. Yeah, like it's just, it just needs to be used wrong once. Not even used wrong, it just needs to go wrong once. Like when you mess with someone's brain, like it's you can't fix that. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can have the purest of intentions, but if it goes wrong or if you don't know what you're doing, or even if they're it the person doesn't react the way you intend for them to react, like there's no reversing that. Like the the person's screwed. Yeah, once you're done, you're done. You're done, yeah. yeah. No going back from that. And that's what makes it so scary. Like, not to say like major medical procedures all don't have their risks, but like anything like messing with the brain is is kind of scary. But it is still why it's widely used today. There's uh there's studies out there that say that about a million people a year get some sort of shock therapy to treat either depression or bipolar disorder. And I mean like severe depression. We're not talking about like today you can there's medications out there and over the counter medications that you could take to help. It's beyond that. Like if you have conditions that are beyond that, this is where it kind of t- comes into play. But yeah, the only, really the only yeah, the only modifications that they put into place is, oh, we'll knock you out so you're not awake when this happens. And uh, we'll give you some muscle relaxers to kind of control the convulsions from the seizure. But one of the biggest, most famous advocates for shock therapy was Carrie Fisher, actually. And if you don't know who Carrie Fisher is, go home. I, yeah, go home. Today. You, can't yeah, be I, you have some movies to watch, but she played Princess Leia in the original Star Wars trilogy. And she wrote a book. The name of her memoir was called Shockaholic. But she was very open with her journey about her mental health and the procedures and the therapeutics that she used to get herself through it. And she was a regular user of shock therapy and one of the things that she said was that it helped but the truth and she said and this is a direct quote from her book the truly negative thing about shock therapy is that it's incredibly hungry and the only thing it has a taste for is memory and she said that because one of the most noted side effects of shock therapy is memory loss so most patients a lot of like most patients that go through this will lose their short-term memory right before the procedure they go into the procedure they'll lose that day or whatever whatever the case may be but there are also a there's many documented cases of people just coming out of it and their long-term memory is gone not knowing who they are not knowing what year it is like their whole life is just wiped out because you don't like when you're messing with electricity you don't know if you give someone too much you don't know how much you're messing up yeah and like people respond so differently exactly everyone can't bet on the same outcome for every single person yeah because you don't know like even with all the progress we've made with medical research today like there's still like the brain is still like the one it's the one organ where you don't everyone's chemistry is different yeah like for like surgeries and stuff like people could go in and see like what's happening and you know go from there but like if you're just doing electric shock shock therapy you're not actually seeing the like what's happening yeah 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 Yeah. exactly it's especially now because now you're unconscious like today you're unconscious when you go through this when you go in for brain surgery it it, you're you're conscious you don't feel what's going on but it's so they can talk to you i just insane to me yeah but but it's done for a reason so that they don't turn your brain into mush mush but when you're dealing with exactly. electricity and someone's unconscious, you have no way of knowing how they're going to react to that procedure until they come out of it. And that's why I yeah. think it's the scariest part of it. But definitely, it really is. that's shock therapy. I mean, created for the, the purest intentions and still used today, probably in a, more, <laughs> in a more controlled environment, but still wildly risky yeah. therapeutic. 
I can't believe that it's something that we're still doing, but... Yeah, you gotta be as like... As long as it's done in the right conditions, I guess. It's still risky. Very risky. Yeah. Well, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. And I know, Chelsea, you have our theme for next week, so... Or next Dirty. next week. What are we doing? So, for next week, we are going to be doing botched executions. Nice. And it's not just... I don't want to just hear about, like, you know, how someone's head didn't get hacked off properly. <laughs> I would like to hear all about the crimes that were committed, the backstory of this person, and then how their head wasn't cut off correctly or okay. electrocuted or whatever the case may be on how they were being executed. That's what I would like to hear. Got you. Got you. We will deliver on that. And in Thank the you. meantime, you guys can follow us on Tipsy Depraved at our Twitter handle and we are tipsy to pray podcast on Instagram and the TikToks. And TikToks. that is all for today, guys. Yeah. We're Bye. Bye. Toodle. Bye.